Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's open our Bibles now to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts in your New Testament, Acts chapter 16. Verses 6 through 10 will be our text. This is the third of our six vision plan commitments. It is the commitment to church planting and revitalization. In the past 10 years, First Baptist Church of Keller has planted three churches. The first was Blue Mountain Baptist Church in Baker City, Oregon. The second, Desert Ridge Baptist Church in St. George, Utah. And the most recent, Foundation Baptist Church in Euless, Texas. And each of those churches came about because God put it in the heart of some individuals in this church to do it. And as the vision team has met over the last year, there was agreement unanimously that church planning and revitalization has become part of the DNA of this congregation. And we believe the Lord is leading us to continue pursuing these opportunities as He would lead us in the future. As with all of our vision plan commitments, We believe that the desire to plant churches is God-given and that it is biblical. And so our text this morning is the biblical basis for this commitment. It's set in the midst of the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. After returning and ministering in the cities that he and Barnabas had first shared the gospel, God gives Paul's ministry an entirely new direction. So let's read about it. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Now there's three simple observations that I want to make from this text as it relates to church planting. The first is that we need the Spirit's guidance. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, convicts sinners of sin and judgment and righteousness. That's in John chapter 6. But that's just one of His many roles. Another function of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit calls Christians to specific acts of service. We see this here in Acts chapter 13, where the leaders of the church at Antioch were gathered in prayer and fasting, asking the Lord to reveal His will to them. And the Holy Spirit revealed to each of them, and again it was unanimous, that they were to set aside Paul and Barnabas to be the world's first foreign missionaries. And they did that. The Spirit indwells every believer, though. It's not just men like Paul and Barnabas. Scripture says, if you have not the Spirit of God, you're none of His. So every Christian has the indwelling Spirit. John 14, 16 says, He is our helper. He is our comforter. John 16, 13 says, He leads us to truth. He distributes gifts to the church as the Lord allows. He is our guide, according to the book of Luke. He teaches us what to say in times of need. But there's some things to remember as it relates to the Holy Spirit's work. And that is the Holy Spirit is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. I think sometimes we Baptists 
don't give enough attention to the Holy Spirit. He is as much a part of the Trinity as the Father and the Son. And He will never lead you to say or do anything that is contrary to the revealed Word of God. See, one of the commitments we have here at this church is a high view of Scripture. We believe that the Scripture is altogether true and trustworthy. And we have a closed canon. That is, everything God intended us to know about Him is right here in the Word. And so the Holy Spirit is never going to lead you to do or say anything that is opposed to the revealed Word of God. And so you hear someone say that, well, God told me this, and it's absolutely contrary to what God says in His Word. Don't you believe them? They're mistaken. Therefore, because He is co-equal with the Father and the Son, because He speaks through the Word, we must know the Bible. Because the primary means that God communicates His will today, in this era when we do have the close canon of Scripture, is through His Word. Now God can do whatever He wants to do. But His primary way of communicating is through the Bible. And therefore we must be people of prayer. We must ask for wisdom to understand the Bible. God invites us to pray for wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, He says that He will answer that prayer. If you ask for wisdom, He'll give it. And then thirdly, we must live godly lives if we're discerned the Holy Spirit's will. The Bible says we can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives through sin and sinful attitudes. Now let's look at our text this morning. It's obvious in the context that Paul had a plan. He wanted to move forward with his plan. He wanted to take the gospel to Asia. You remember uh, most of what had gone forth as church planting was in a region around the Mediterranean Sea and he wanted to push farther into the darkness where the gospel was unknown. And so he as assumed that that would be to Asia. Now we too as a vision team have been prayerful throughout this process and what we have prayed is James 4.15. James 4.15, James the brother of Jesus cautions Christians that when we have strategies and we have plans, be careful with our attitude. He says, don't say, I'm going to go into such and such city and conduct business and do this or that. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do that. Now, my maternal grandmother had quite a habit of adding, if the Lord wills, to every declarative statement she ever made. She says, I'm going to the Piggly Wiggly this afternoon, Lord willing. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not really what James was talking about. He's saying your attitude ought to be that we own nothing. God owns everything, even our lives. It's okay and even encouraged in the Scripture to plan and strategize. But if the Lord decides a different plan is better, He's sovereign and we're not, right? And so throughout this process, the vision team has said, Now, Lord, we believe this is how you're leading and we're going to proceed. And every three months we met again. And we prayed together and we said, are, are we sensing collectively that the Lord wants us to move forward? And in every meeting, the answer was yes. And so we are moving forward in that process. Now, at any point along the way, though, we have humbled ourselves before the Lord and said, Now, Lord, if this isn't your will, you let us know and we'll go in a different direction. This is what Paul was doing. He had a plan in his heart to go to Asia. There was nothing sinful about taking the gospel to Asia. And yet the Lord stopped him in his tracks. He had a different plan. Isn't God gracious many times not to give us what we think we clearly need or want? I am so grateful that God has chosen not to answer some of my prayers in my youth. 
in the way that I thought they should be answered. His way is right, and his way is best. He did prevent Paul. Paul said, we want to go to Asia. He says, we were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. He wanted to go to Bithynia. The Spirit of Christ would not allow it. Why? We don't know. He chooses not to tell us, other than the fact that God had a better plan. Now, how did he communicate that to Paul? How did he stop him? Was there a big road sign in the way? Uh, we don't know that either. He doesn't tell us. Maybe it was a check in his spirit. Maybe he didn't have peace about it. We don't know. What we do know is that he was not allowed to go where he had planned. Now, from one perspective, that's a little bit confusing, isn't it? Because we know we have our marching orders as Christians, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. So why would Jesus say, go here and, and not there? After all, there's lost persons everywhere. In Asia, in Bithynia, anywhere you look, there's need. No matter where we go in the world, people need the gospel. God often, though, works and reveals His will through personal appeals and relationships. In this case, it was a personal appeal through a vision called the Macedonian Call. Do you remember the old hymn we used to sing? We have heard the Macedonian Call, Send the Light. Last Sunday morning, we saw that Jesus said to the church that you are the salt of the earth, you are a light to the world. And we said the light is none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So wherever we go, we take light into a dark and a dangerous world. Now Greece fit the bill. It was a dark, pagan place. And they needed the light of the gospel. And so in this vision, this man, this person, speaks to Paul and says, well, I'll just read it. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia was, Macedonia was across the sea on the, the peninsula of modern-day Greece. This is significant because heretofore the gospel had yet to reach Europe. This would be the first entrance of the gospel into Europe. And you know that through Europe the rest of the world heard the gospel. But this is a personal appeal. Now, I don't claim to have ever had a vision from the Lord, like Paul or Peter, but I have experienced that God often leads us, Christians, the church, to action through personal relationships. When you meet someone of like faith, and your hearts are knit together by the Lord, and He leads you together to attempt something great for His glory. I think of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. The Lord knit their hearts together. There's other examples in the New Testament. And you will note that our third commitment is to church planting and revitalization. Revitalization is where there is a church in existence, but it's threatened to go out of existence. And a healthy church will come in and help restore the health to that one who is floundering. That is the story with Foundation Baptist Church. About four years ago, there was a church in our area called uh, North Euless Baptist Church. And at one time in the 1960s and 70s, it was a very vibrant, growing, dynamic church. It was meet, meeting the needs of that community, and the Lord was using them in a great way. But over time, through inner turmoil and changing of the community, that church had dwindled in attendance down to less than 20. And they were having difficulty paying their bills. And they sent out a Macedonian call to our association. Are there any churches around that are willing to help us? We don't want to see the church close. 
And the Lord put it in our heart of our missions committee to answer that call. And through a series of meetings, we worked out an agreement whereby we would send one of our pastors to pastor that church. And we remodeled that church and opened it under the name Foundation Baptist Church. And Brother Casey Lewis is leading that church. And today, they'll likely have over 100 in Sunday school this morning, just four years later. And they're within a year or two of being autonomous, which is the goal of all of our church plants. Scott and Judy Knox, our first church planters 10 years ago, they were members of this church. And Scott and Judy were in the corporate world. And Scott went on a mission trip and the Lord put it on his heart that there needed to be churches in the northwest part of the United States. And he came back home and we began to pray about that. Where would it be? And Scott flew up to the northwest and he got a car and he began to drive all over Oregon and Washington State from town to town in a state of prayer. And when he pulled his car into Baker City, Oregon, he knew this was the place. And he called Judy and they moved up there and they've been up there ever since. And Blue Mountain Baptist Church, within three years of their arrival, was fully autonomous and had a building paid for. And they're reaching that community with the gospel. Mike and Hope Waldrop, both wonderful Christians who I've known for many years, were out with their three children on vacation near Zion National Park in southwestern Utah. And they met a man there who was uh, trying to reach that community, but he was growing older and nearing retirement. And he said, Michael, we need churches here. Michael came home and told me. And I said, well, we're looking for a place to plant. And we brought them in here for a few months, and they met some of our people. Jay and Amanda Taylor moved out with them just to help the plant. And today, they're a fully autonomous Southern Baptist church, one of the most vital in the whole state of, of Utah. And, and I tell you that to say the Lord is doing something among us, and He's doing something great. And your vision committee believes He wants us to do even more. There's opportunities everywhere. We know this. But He has knitted our heart with people of like faith and philosophy. I met a young man, Luke Panter, many years ago uh, when I was a part of a, a Paul Timothy conference where older pastors mentored younger pastors. It's been so long ago that I was on the Timothy side then. They moved me to the other as my hair has turned gray. But Luke remembered me speaking one day about church planting. And a couple of years ago he called me and says, the Lord's put it in my heart to plant a church in Maricopa County, Arizona, will you help us? And this church family has helped them financially. I think of Kika Jameer, who's here every Sunday with his family, who has planted a number of churches among the Bhutanese refugees right here in Fort Worth, Texas. I, I think of um, so many partners that we've had through the years, but in almost every case, we were ready to serve. We had the resources to serve. And God brought individuals together and knitted their heart. This is how he often works. He did this with this appeal from this individual Macedonian. Who was he? We don't know. His name's not even mentioned. The Bible doesn't tell us. What is clear is that when the Apostle Paul had that vision, instantly he knew it was from God. And he knew it was a call to action. You see, the Apostle Paul viewed his entire life as a stewardship. And we have made it clear throughout this vision planning process, which now has spanned over a year, that this is a stewardship issue fundamentally. Now, you Baptists, when you hear the word stewardship, you grab your wallet, don't you? Because you think the preacher's going to talk about money. 
and giving. But stewardship is much bigger than money. Stewardship is a worldview which says that everything I have, including the breath in my lungs, is the Lord's. And that one day I'm going to give an account to Him for it. And the Bible further says that to whom much is given, much is required. And, and with any measure, we have to say that First Baptist Keller has been given much. We have a 135-year legacy of Bible teaching here. We've been given a property right at the intersection of two of the busiest highways in North Texas. We, we have been given members from all over the world who are gifted in a variety of ways. I can't imagine any need would come up in our church that we wouldn't have someone in our church that could meet it. We've been blessed financially. In the past seven years, our giving has increased 35%, which has enabled us to pay off debt very rapidly so that on April 1st, this spring, Lord willing, there's my grandmother coming out. <laughs> we're going to announce debt freedom, which is going to enable us to do more than we've ever done before in the area of church planning and, and revitalization. I hope you can tell I'm excited about that. Paul was excited about having his prayer answered. He was ready to go. He just didn't know where. And when he got the vision, he said, that's the answer. We're going to Macedonia. This was an enthusiastic response. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. By the way, who wrote the book of Acts? Dr. Luke. Did you know that up until this verse in the first 16 chapters of Luke, he used pronouns like he and they. Beginning in that verse that I just read, he starts using the pronoun we. And so it's likely that Luke joined that party there in Troas, and for the rest of his second journey was with the Apostle Paul. And he was invested. He was a part of it. This wasn't Paul's story. And by the way, I tell you all the time, Paul's not the hero of the Bible, is he? Jesus is. And Luke understood that. And even as he was recording this for posterity, this historical narrative, he understood he was part of something greater than himself. This word immediately is important. Paul was ready to go whenever and wherever. There's one thing I love about our missions pastor, Lawrence Duhon, it's that. He shares that with the Apostle Paul. I, I told our group this morning, if, if I were to come in Monday morning and say, Brother Lawrence, the Lord is leading us to plant a church in Mars, he'd form a committee that afternoon. <laughs> He's ready to go. We need those people in our church. Paul was, was ready, and the others went with him. It reminds me of what Peter, the apostle, wrote in 1 Peter 5.2, he says, speaking to pastors, to shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. The word immediately and eagerness go together, don't they? In fact, King James says it this way, with a ready mind. I love that. This is how I interpret a ready mind to our Staff, we talk about it all the time. That is, we need to set our default setting to yes rather than no. Bible says if you see a brother in need and you have the ability to meet that need and you don't do it, how does the love of God dwell in you? Now, we tend to apply that verse only to physical needs. If you've got two coats and your brother has one and you don't give him one of yours, how does the love of Christ dwell in you? If you've got two turkeys. I saw 
guy over here who's cooking me a turkey for Thanksgiving made me think of that. <laughs> and you keep two and don't give one to your brother. How does the love of God dwell in you? That also applies to churches. If you have an embarrassment of riches and don't share it with others, how does the love of God dwell in you? And so with the Lord's help, we, we've set our default setting to yes. And we're waiting to the Lord to tell, tell us exactly where. But I'll let you in a little secret. I believe the Lord's already told us where. But I don't have time to tell you today. You have to come on December 31st. December 31st, put it on your calendar. I know it's over the Christmas holidays, but on December 31st, I'm going to lay out exactly where I believe the Lord is leading us to plant churches here in, in, in North America. You be here. We need you here that day. I'll give you a little hint, a little tease. About four years ago, you all gave me a sabbatical. And I spent that sabbatical summer in St. George, Utah, touring that entire region of the Southwest in my car, and a meeting with pastors there. Did you know that there are only nine Southern Baptist churches in the entire Southern Hemisphere of the state of Utah? There are 400 Southern Baptist churches in Tarrant County, Texas. We've got a distribution problem. And so as I met with those nine pastors, and they are godly men, every one of them, and we began to pray about how we might work together, right in the middle of that prayer meeting, this is honest truth, one of those pastors stood up and he pointed his finger right at me, and he says, Brother Sanders, so that you don't have any misunderstanding of what's going on here today, I am issuing you a Macedonian call. That's what he said. He said, come over and help us. Well, for the last four years, we've been getting ready to do that. We've sent one couple out already. But I believe uh, we've got a, a strategy and a plan in place. And if you'll come on December 31st, I'm going to tell you all about it, okay? you be in prayer for that. Now, let's, let's put a bow on this. Let's, let's apply this passage today to our lives. A couple of questions. Number one, why did God send Paul to Macedonia? Well, first and foremost, why does God do anything that He does, we said last week? For His own glory. Soli Deo Gloria. But specifically, because He had His people there. Aren't you amazed where you go anywhere in the world and share the gospel? God's gone before you, and He's got His people there, and He's prepared their hearts to hear it. I have people say, Pastor, if, if I had your theology of if I believed in predestination and election like you do, I would never evangelize. No, you wouldn't. Not if you believe like I do. Because here's what I believe. God's already got His people in Utah. We just get the joy of going to see Him come to faith in Christ. We declare the gospel, and those that the Lord puts on their heart will be saved. Our success is guaranteed. Now, we may not see tens of thousands like Spurgeon, but if we see one come to faith, the Lord will be glorified through that. And I believe we're going to see many more than that. Did you know what happened after Paul went to Macedonia? I told you it was the first time the gospel went to Europe. Did you know the first convert in Europe? Go home and read the rest of this chapter. It was a woman by the name of Lydia. Remember we said that uh, women are featured prominently and used by God in the New Testament. Lydia is uh, the poster child for that. The first convert in all of Europe was Lydia. And then a little while later... A Philippian jailer came to faith. And so the, the point is that God had his people there. Now the second question is, why did Paul go? 
Why didn't Paul dig in his heels and say, no, I'm going to Asia? Because Paul was a good soldier. Paul wrote to Timothy, the young pastor, and said, Timothy, a good soldier does not entangle himself with the cares of the world. A good soldier is a good soldier because he obeys orders. Now, Paul had his orders, the Great Commission, go and make disciples, but he needed specific orders. Where exactly do you want us to go? And when he saw that vision, he had his orders, and he went. The second reason Paul went is because he viewed his calling as a lifetime calling. Remember I said in Acts chapter 13, the leaders of Antioch set him aside, he and Barnabas, to be missionaries. And he would go off for years at a time, and then he'd come back to Antioch. But there's no evidence in the Scripture that they recommissioned him as a missionary every time he came back. That is, when the Lord's calling was on his life, he understood that to be a lifetime calling, and he just kept going back to report, and then he'd go out again. And the third reason I believe that Paul went is because he loved the lost and had compassion on them. We often think of Paul as kind of hard-edged and harsh. But don't forget, it's the Apostle Paul who said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. Apostle Paul was moved by the sea of lostness all around him. Sometimes it drove him to sadness. Sometimes it drove him to anger. Do you remember when he went into the city of Athens? This epicenter of Greek culture. And there's pagan gods and goddesses everywhere. And Ben, it was more than he could take. And he went to the marketplace. And then he went to the amphitheater. And he preached Jesus to them. Paul was moved emotionally by the lostness all around him. He was moved by the need. Now friends, the fact that we have the clear orders of the Great Commission ought to be enough to involve us in missions and evangelism. Jesus said do it. That's all we need to know. But there are many other great reasons to plant churches. One is we live in a dark, in a dying, in a lost world. And there are many parts of our nation who have little to no access to the gospel. I had a meeting with a man who is planting churches in New England recently. And he's one of these guys who we've knitted our hearts together, the Lord has. And I love what he's doing up there, and we're going to try to duplicate it in Utah. And he rolled out a map of North America on our conference table. And he said, Pastor Keith, do you know that the two most unreached regions of North America are New England, and I said, and Utah. And he said, and Utah. And on that map were two big red portions, Utah and New England, and these are the very two places where the Lord has led First Baptist Keller to plant churches. I think the reason is the, the need is so great. I, I know you. I brag on you all the time about how if you know a need, you meet it. Friends, there's a need for churches where there aren't any. And I believe the Lord is going to raise up individuals and couples and families and whole groups of people in the years ahead to launch out of First Baptist Church of Keller, to redistribute some of the Lord's blessings in places where there are few. Let's pray that He does that, will you? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we believe that you have put this on our heart just as much as you put it on the Apostle Paul's heart. And Father, we live uh, 
even though we're in the, in the buckle of the Bible Belt, we know right in the shadow of this church there's lostness. Anywhere we could go, Father, there's need and lostness. But, but Lord, you also call people to specific places. And Lord, as you lead us, we don't want to run ahead of your will nor lag behind it. I pray that we'd stay in lockstep with you and your spirit. And Lord, and anywhere along the way where we go in the wrong direction, would you just stop us right in our tracks, Lord? And give us the patience to wait on you. And then, Lord, when there is a clear word, give us the boldness to step out in faith. Father, help us to set our default setting to yes rather than no. Help us to be ever ready to do a good deed and speak a good word for Jesus. We would ask him to receive all the glory from this. We pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.